0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Getting Close with Mike Marbach podcast. This is the first one of the year 2015. Uh, I only did a few last year. Uh, I only did four or five, Uh, so I hope to do, at the very least, one a month this year. That is one of my New Year's resolutions to you, is more long, boring chats. Uh, So you have that to look forward to. Uh, Yeah, New Year's resolutions, I... uh, Aside from that one, uh, one of mine is to eat healthier, eat more healthy, however the hell that's said, Uh, and I'm doing okay. I've had more fruits and vegetables in the last, uh, I guess, three weeks now than I have. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say my entire life. Uh, I've also had vegetables that I just haven't eaten before, uh, willingly. Um, So that's pretty neat. Uh, Just today I had a... Oh, because one of the reasons this is happening is because i know that i will not eat them so i bought a nutriblast uh from the makers of magic bullet it's nutriblast uh so i got the nutriblast and it's uh kind of grinds everything up uh blends it all together into a uh into a juice uh including all of the uh seeds and skins and all of that stuff so you get everything it's not just a juicer that you know um, you're missing out on all the, a lot of the n- nutrients, uh, you get everything with this, with the NutriBlast from the makers of Magic Bullet, and, uh, today I had one that had some broccoli, had some celery, had some, uh, strawberries, uh, some blueberries, and, uh, banana, and apple, and already the, uh, horrible Dennis Miller impressions coming out, babe, uh, oh, it's gotten quite bad over the, over the time of this podcast, so I apologize for that. Um, I have a show coming up, uh, on Friday, uh, what's the date? Uh, Friday, January 23rd at the brewery. It's hard to say, uh, the brewery, uh, and that's at 1170 South Broad. That's where I used to hold the sideshow. Uh, it's, it's, it's given way to the brewery and I'm doing a show with Kristen Shear, a duo, and, uh, it's going to be fun. It's a kind of improv format that people will probably either love or hate. Uh, and it's less of a format than, than it is a style, um, because there is a difference between a format and a style, um, which actually we talk about in this podcast. Uh, that's an un, unintentional segue into this actual podcast, uh, which features uh, Philly Improv, Pioneer, uh, Patriarch, Um, I know he's, he's up there on the, the mountain Rushmore of Philly improv, uh, personalities. Uh, and that's Matt Holmes of Rare Bird Show. Um, you may have seen him on Facebook as Rare Bird Show up until recently when he finally, uh, took on his, his birth name, uh, Matt Holmes. Uh, so we talk about a bunch of things. We talk about teaching. We talk about coaching. We talk about coaching coaches, um, general improv theories uh, we talk about Matt and of course his show Rare Bird show early Philly improv history a bunch of stuff that uh, you know I always worry with these with these talks because I'm so interested in uh, the history of uh, Philly comedy that it kind of sounds like a an audio an audiobook uh, textbook or something um, but hopefully you'll find it interesting uh, I definitely did. Uh, Matt's a good guy and uh, was kind enough to sit down for a uh, good long chat about some stuff. So enjoy as I get close with Matt Holmes. Matt Holmes uh, is the guest on uh, the first of the year guest uh, for the Getting Close podcast. Thanks for thanks for doing this. Yeah, we've been talking about doing this for uh, a while. Um, I get busy. Uh, you you can be somewhat elusive at times. Sure. Uh, but we're here now. Uh, so I'll start this the way I start all of them, is just what got you into
1: comedy? That's my question. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think I was always into comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people of our age and our generation remember there being just stand-up everywhere yeah. in the late 80s. What um, is your age I'm, slash generation? I was born in 1980. Okay. So. Yeah, that is, you are correct. That is our age and our generation. Um, I uh, was an eight-year-old who would stay up and watch um, Arsenio Hall to see stand-ups mm-hmm. who knew routines by stand-ups of the late 80s. Um, and at a certain point, that sort of shifted into sketch comedy, um, just that time when people discover SNL yeah. and In Living Color yeah. came out and that was kind of a big um, a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and... There doesn't have to be more. Uh, no, I mean, I think... <laughs> I just lost my train of thought, I guess. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that was the start, you know, just sort of being interested in it maybe more than the average mm-hmm. eight-year-old. Um, and then, uh, in college, there was an improv group, tried out for the improv group sort of on a lark as a, maybe I'll try this, Mm -hmm. uh, got in and quickly was doing improv. And then after college was like, "Eh, maybe I'll try to do improv again and ended up, uh, starting my own group and then I'm doing improv. Great.
0: Uh, well, that has been uh, Matt Holmes for the Getting Close podcast. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll talk a, a little bit more in detail sure. uh, about some of those things. Who were some of your favorites growing up? You mentioned *The Living Color. You mentioned SNL um, as far as sketch stuff goes.
1: But what about any kind of stand-ups? Um, for stand-ups, I think I was just really very aware of it. Um, I liked... <laughs> it, it wasn't so much a particular stand-up. Yeah. I remember Jeff Dunham... Before he became the Jeff Dunham that he is now, um, was on a lot, and I thought
0: that was really interesting. By Uh, the Jeff Dunham that he is now, you mean there was a period of
1: Jeff Dunham that didn't have to do with puppets? No, he was a ventriloquist. But uh, I think he sort of had a wave where he was really interesting and funny. Um, but maybe not so successful, and then disappeared. I never saw him for years and years, and then suddenly came back and was just a bit more marketed, uh, maybe a bit more edgy for the sake of edgy, um, more commercial. Uh, So it's a little bit different. If I bring that up now, I think people tend to think of um, 2013 jeff dunham as opposed to 1998 jeff dunham yeah so they're a little bit different yeah but yeah for stand-ups in general it was just sort of like i'm familiar with it kind of interested in analyzing it um the routines kind of stuck in my head so i knew them though i never class clown uh like repeated them or performed them for yeah. anybody um when you were in school did you uh were you known for being a a funny guy no not at all
2: yeah
1: i was uh very well up until maybe the age of four i was very outgoing and (laughs) loud and uh would dance around and then uh sort of became shy for many years Mm -hmm. and that wasn't until like high school college that i started doing things and talking to people what was it that uh broke you out um of that shyness. Just a a will to do it. Yeah. <laughs> to be less of a um loner, I yeah. suppose. Um in Living Color probably had a bigger impact than I'm, I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. And then Are you a fan of Jim Carrey? Um not in particular. No. But Who from the show stood out to you? I guess probably Jim Carrey, just because he was kind of a breakout star and yeah. um, was really uh, kind of the face of that show. Mm. But that's not to say that, say, because he was white, he was more um, accessible to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I I think the whole show was very much um, of interest to me.
0: Do you have a. Just out of curiosity, any kind of favorite characters from
1: the from Living Color*? Um, no, nothing, <laughs> no. nothing in particular. It's I hadn't really thought about it until um, some time ago. The topic of uh, influences came up, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I guess *In Living Color* really probably was a yeah. big influence along the same lines as like." Um. The Simpsons, Mm -hmm. and then when I started getting into SNL for a while, I started watching the older SNLs from the 70s. -hmm. Uh, At a certain point, I found uh, Laugh-In, and was really interested in that, but couldn't really find it too often. I found Kids in the Hall, probably in high school, at like 1am. I think it was the new SNL, Mm -hmm. then an old SNL, usually (laughs) from the 70s, and then... Uh, kids in the hall at like one thirty AM. Yeah, it was pretty late. Something like that. Yeah. And then it moved over to C B S at one thirty A. M. Yeah. something like that. But all of those were um of big interest to me. More so probably than improv. I was aware of Whose Line Yeah. In and probably the British first and more so watching that on Comedy Central. On Comedy Central, yeah. Yeah. Um and I was like, oh that's funny, but, um, I don't think it was nearly as much of an interest, uh, to me as the sketch was.
0: Yeah. For me. Which is weird. Uh, um, for me it was, uh, whose line, uh, it came, it it started getting pretty big because it was one of the shows, and I've discussed this before on the podcast, uh, that Comedy Central had, and they played it over and over and over again, along with, uh, E! News Daily, um, so I watched a, a whole hell of a lot of it, and for a while that was the only experience with improv that I've had. And I think it's probably still pretty true that that's a lot of the only experience that many people have had, outside of improv even. Um, but Yeah,
1: nowadays it's, I think, people younger than us, it's like ABC Family Channel reruns yeah. of the Drew Carey era. Yeah. Whose line is it, anyway?
0: Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed the show. Um, it didn't necessarily um push me into comedy the way that uh I guess sketch and stand up did. Yeah. Uh I was I watched Seinfeld growing up. Um so I was very aware of Jerry Seinfeld and I would watch uh Carson um all the time mm-hmm. as much as I could being that young right. down down the shore, uh trying to stay up late to watch with my nana. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah I used to have uh, VHS tapes of, of stand-ups and funny thing is I don't really
1: do stand-up at all anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird how something can influence you but not necessarily so directly or so obviously. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who cite Bob Dylan as an influence don't really sound or write at all like Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. It's more just kind of crafting yeah. a, a mold or a sphere to play in. Just something to get you going. Yeah.
0: Yeah, something... Trip some circuit in the brain makes you want to do that sort of thing. Um, As far as improv goes, you said you got into improv in college. Mm -hmm. Um, What, uh, you you said that it was just
1: more of like, ah, hey, I'll do this. Yeah, just like any other, you know, thing that people do in college. Like, oh, you know, I could see myself trying to do that. In high school, I um, got into a band without really having any musical ability. And it was along so the, they had
0: pretty high standards.
1: Well, everybody else was really good. <laughs> um, and I um, I guess along those lines of trying not to be shy anymore, would, was willing to put myself out there. And I think when I got to college, that was another step of you know, opening up and trying new things.
0: Yeah, I mean, having no musical ability, uh, or little to none, Mm-hmm. Not my words. Um, what makes you decide that that's the way to uh, just put yourself out there? Uh, it just sort of came up. Because that seems a little odd, um, that, uh, that that would be the way to, to do it.
1: Yeah, I was interested in writing and kind of writing you know, bad teenage poetry like people <laughs> do. And I think a lot of times in bands, if you're willing to sing, you're the singer. Because a lot of times yeah. musicians aren't so interested in that. Um, so I kind of volunteered myself and found a situation, um, and did it for a year. What, what did you do? Just singing. Just singing? Yeah. Okay. I tried to pick up some guitar or harmonica or anything like that, but haven't, (laughs) didn't.
0: Uh, and everybody was, everybody was good with that?
2: Yeah.
1: Well. Because nobody else wanted to sing. I think so. At least at that time, okay. Um, but that was definitely a step in the unshying of me.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh, since you put it that way. I think that's a pretty. It kind of makes sense. That's, that that mm-hmm. is a big way, especially singing. Singing a lot of people, um, whether they like to do it or not, it, yeah. it, it kind of puts them
1: out there. Yeah, I think if there had been a comedy club, or a, like you know, like a student club, um, organization for comedy. Mm-hmm. I might have tried for that if there had been improv in my high school or theater or anything like that. I might have gotten into it, but where is a where is a high school and college um I grew up near Wilkesbury in northeastern p a and I went to college wilkesbury wilkesbury hmm. okay uh I think I've always people, said Wilkes bar yeah, I think people from Wilkesbury pronounce it Wilkes bar there's just sort of an accent there okay um but I believe the proper pronunciation yeah. is Wilkes-Barre. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm from Mountaintop. And then I came down to the Philly area. Came down from the Mountaintop. Right, <laughs> to go to uh, Cabrini College. And they had a, a pretty substantial improv program for many years um, before I and Mike Butler and Jess Snow are also... Butler. He is. Uh, he has
0: not been on the podcast, but he he listens to... Uh, I think all of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's 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 good for that. Mike Butler. Long time listener. <laughs> <first> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, so we went to um, Cabrini, and uh, there was like a games group there. We got into a little bit of long form. Um, we started performing weekly. There was a lot of improv going on there. And then I graduated, and... Um, Maybe six months, nine months went by, and I thought, um, you know, maybe I'll see if there are other opportunities for that. I actually auditioned for a group called Polly Wumpus, um, who had been around for many years um, during my senior year of college. Mm-hmm. Got in, but was kind of too busy to do it. Uh, who did that involve? Who did Polly Wumpus yeah. involve? Um Some people who I think the listeners of this might not be aware of. It came originally out of um, some pen improvisers. Okay. And then they were around for maybe eight or nine years, I think. Um, Pretty well known, but then sort of ended right at the time I was looking for a group to join. Along with uh, Next Line Improv, who were also around for a little while and then ended. So I found myself um, not really having opportunities to follow anybody Mm -hmm. else or join anything that was already in existence. Mm -hmm. Um, And what about, uh, when about was this? This was 2002, 2003. Okay. Um, I considered trying to get into comedy sports, but... It seemed like there was just more of a, a, um, time requirement than I was interested in. More of of a, uh, more calendar to carve out. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, then I, um. Nathan Edmondson and I both auditioned for a group that we saw in City Paper. Friend of the podcast, Nathan Edmondson. That's right. I listened to his episode and jogged my memory. Um, And then that didn't end up happening either. Uh, And then I went to see um, a senior show at Haverford and connected with Alexis Simpson and Chris Conklin. Um, They... I had known other people from Haverford, mm-hmm. and they had known those people, but I didn't know them. So we, we talked about the idea of trying to make something and uh, brought in some other people, kind of workshopped the idea, practiced for a while, and that turned into a rare bird show.
0: A rare bird show uh, went for ten
1: years, right? Yeah. Was it, was it ten or was it just over ten? Well, um, we sort of celebrated... That first meeting that we had okay. uh, in the summer of 2013 mm-hmm. was 10 years. And then we kind of wrapped up with a, a big finale yeah. shortly thereafter.
0: Yeah, uh, And that was you, Nathan Edmondson, Alexis Simpson,
1: and there was one other person? Yeah, Chris Conklin, Chris Conklin. helped us kind of uh, start it and then found a new path <laughs> yeah. to... France and then to North Carolina, and I think he's still in North Carolina. At least we got one of the, the, the dignitaries left. Yeah. From Rare Merch. Yeah. And
0: that's kind of something that's come up a lot uh, in different podcasts that I do, particularly with people who have been around for a while, mm-hmm. uh, like Kristen uh, or BJ. Uh, your name comes up often right. uh, as someone who has been around for much of the uh, growth. Uh, from the beginning to to the now, mm-hmm. uh, to the present, um, of someone that kind of helped orchestrate some some things. Maybe wasn't involved in everything, mm-hmm. but had a hand. Seemingly had a hand in a lot of
1: things. Yeah i I think I think Rare Bird Show sort of bridges an era before us and the current era, just because there wasn't really much else happening. So. Um, we kind of made those connections to other groups kind of helped people find each other and, Mm. um, help them start their own groups. Um, I think there had been a bit of divisiveness in the past. Um, and we tried to squelch that and, (laughs) and, you know, perform with each other, kind of share our audiences, pool our resources. Mm. Um, build a community as opposed to having it be individual communities. Mm. Um, uh,
0: we'll talk as comfortably as you feel. Um, <laughs> okay. But what is uh, what, what some of the divisiveness?
1: It just seemed like the groups um, before us um, didn't really um, connect with other groups or, you know, with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, they never did a show together. Okay. Or open for each other. Um, you, They would sort of have their own audience, and there wouldn't be overlap. Okay. Um, just not a lot of community building, like we've seen in the past, you know, 10 or so years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so that was one of the your goals with Rare Bird Show? Not so much a specific goal, but just, you know, the way that I wanted to operate. Yeah. Uh, in maybe 2005... We did, like, a Valentine's Day show uh, and sort of set that tone of love in the community (laughs) Uh, that was, I think, Lunch Lady Doris, The Cabal, and Rare Bird Show, if I remember correctly. Um, And that seemed almost groundbreaking to, like, do a show together at -hmm. that time.
0: Yeah. And... It's funny. It, it, it's funny to think about something like that. That just these these separate not even theaters so much, right. just groups. Yeah, individual uh, individual improv groups uh, that had their own little uh, following or right. uh, space uh, that they, they just not even theater space, but just their own carved out little area. Yeah. Um, so it's just funny to think that <laughs> it took somebody to be like you and you come yeah. under my roof. Yeah, I Let don't have a, on a
1: show. I don't have a whole lot of other experience looking at other places and what happens. Mm-hmm. But I think it's unfortunately common for um, for there not to be uh, a sense of community, and it's nice and rare when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, What were some of your
0: early projects other than Rare Bird Show? Like, as, I mean, you can...
1: It was pretty much just that. (laughs) Just just for a bird show? Yeah, basically.
0: Where did you guys, uh, you had the improv club, right, at, uh, Cabrini. Mm -hmm. Um, where else have you guys gotten trained? Because Fit didn't come around until, uh, 2005, right? right? Um, uh, I know that there was probably people that had studied elsewhere, Mm -hmm. uh, then, of, of course, like, different improv, uh, things in, in college but how did how were people getting their
1: getting the improv training it was kind of uh from workshops in the past um at the beginning mm-hmm. and from just experience i think um for rare bird show i think we each brought different things to the table and kind of taught each other and learned from each other Uh, Nathan brought a lot of acting experience that kind of made us a lot less goofy or (laughs) wacky, which were the quotes that you would see in in write ups about improv at the time. Yeah. Yeah, at the time.
0: Right. Way back then, because that
1: doesn't happen now. No, you never see (laughs) adjectives like that now. Um, And Alexis had a lot, uh, Alexis and Chris had a lot of experience with sketch and with long form. And I think I brought more of a, uh, short form, like agenda to it. Mm-hmm. Originally I was pretty apprehensive about, um, not doing short form. Um, and I think we created sort of, you might call it a short long form or a long short form, but somewhere where it, you know, it was, uh, one big show, but the pacing was quicker. Um, the attitude was less artsy or pretentious than um, than I sort of had the idea of what long form was mm-hmm. at the time. I'm not sure I get what this show was. Could you, could you like walk me through what this what show rare bird show was when we sort of started? Like th- this uh, sort of short form long form thing that you're you're talking about. It was really just. Um, Doing a long form set, pretty okay. much just a montage with kind of Herald like elements to it. Okay. Um, but with a, I think we were kind of in general quicker, um, weirder, looser. Okay. Um, without um, being too precious about anything. Okay. So it wasn't so much structure or format. We kind of, um, we, we spent maybe. Six months of of just playing around with ideas before um, we got into performing. Uh, and even then, it was pretty sporadic. Um, and created more of like a tone than a format. So something more stylish yeah. than, than a structure. Yeah, and for... Or a way to play, not... uh yeah what to play or how to play. Exactly. So it was... We sort of carved out um, our own particular style without really trying to label it Mm -hmm. or put it into a box and just did kind of a loose, weird um, long form for years and then at a certain point said, maybe we should... You know, what else could we do? We were always teaching each other and you know we worked without a director without a coach uh we had some opportunities to get back to your question of the educational aspect of it um some opportunities to go to festivals um and see what people were learning what people were working on what people were performing Mm -hmm. and to bring those elements back to our weekly rehearsal or practice and play around with different things and kind of build everything into what we were doing Mm
2: -hmm.
1: as opposed to just doing one thing. Uh, Where, what festivals did you go to? Um, Right off the bat, we went down to what was at the time called the Dirty South Improv Festival in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. It's now the North Carolina Comedy Arts Festival and has sketch and stand-up as well. But, um, yeah, we were... Learning from people from Second City, from uh, UCB, from IO, from top level performers mm-hmm. um, who were making the festival rounds along with us. We went to there. We got into the marathon in you know after <laughs> having almost no experience. Um, saw a lot of shows and. Uh, Did a lot of, you know, workshops, basically. Okay.
0: Uh, I want to touch on this uh, in a moment, but because you had brought up coaching, Mm -hmm. uh, that you you weren't coached. Right. Um, You just kind of uh, self-policed yourselves. Yeah. Uh, How how did that work out? I mean, you you guys went for, you know, just about a decade. Right. um, But how... Because I often tell people
1: avoid that if you can. Sure. Um, you guys did it for a while. Uh, it was kind of th- there was no other way to do it <laughs> at the time. I suppose we could have really tried to find somebody from from comedy sports or from maybe more from the theater. Okay, uh, so it was realm. just more there wasn't many yeah, people around there was, that you would ask. Yeah, there was barely a community at all. We were, okay. like you said, we were building it connecting with some other groups uh who were also kind of just as fresh as we were if not less experienced Mm -hmm. so uh we pretty much just sort of were three performers and three learners and three people who could teach something Mm -hmm. Uh, we didn't really write up a list of rules for (laughs) how to behave properly we were just sort of on our best behavior, didn't, um, you know, were polite about how we were going to bring in new information and um, talk about our performances. I think inherently the three of us were very um, self-critical and self-judgmental. So we wanted more of an educational component Mm -hmm. to our development, Did you note each other? Not so much like notes, but just discussion. So not, when you did that, it was bad or stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But maybe just um, talking about how we were getting on the same page, um, ideas about game, ideas about character or about the structure, how we would go back to things, making sure we didn't lose elements that we were playing with. We did a lot of shows um, for many years where some of the best stuff was at the beginning and then we didn't get a chance to get back to it. Mm -hmm. We did kind of a herald without a third beat Mm -hmm. for a while. Um, just because that's what we were able to craft for ourselves without, um, without having the standard kind of, uh, Going up the levels and then being a group and having a director and getting notes that um, is more common in a real community that like Philadelphia
0: is now. yeah what are your thoughts on general formats of of improv? Um, you said Fair Bird Show was more of a loose mm-hmm. thing where you let's see what happens and we'll try to come back to things. but right now the, the scene is much different right uh, and there's a lot of different formats out there. Uh, and then one person, one team does one thing, and then it just kind of, then there's four or five teams that are now doing that particular thing. Uh, but I'm just curious what your general thoughts are on uh, what formats you do like, don't like, what you may not like about formats, uh, maybe the difference between a format and a style mm-hmm. of play.
1: I've seen a lot of formats over the years, <laughs> and they tended to be sort of like roadmaps or. I don't know, puzzles, where first you have to do an opening, then you get something from the audience, then you do this piece, then another piece, then three of these, and then six of those. And for me personally, I don't think I would do very well just memorizing like the <laughs> steps. It's like building an Ikea cabinet every yeah. time you try to do a show. So yeah. I'm a fan of um, shows that have an interesting tone to them, Or a different pace to them, a different style, some kind of theme where it's musical or Shakespeare or one big scene or um, just more raucous or more patient or something unique about them. But um, what I don't like is having to memorize like a, a labyrinth.
0: Yeah. Uh, so you just much rather play with a style,
1: yeah. And whatever happens, happens. So much of it is, um, you know, what really what works for that person. I know I would not do well in that kind of um, puzzle box structure. Other people might find real comfort if they, you know, people who naturally memorize, people who are natural. Um, find themselves in those kind of structures. Mm-hmm. Larger groups I think when there was only three of us we didn't really have time to um, keep track of things. You're hardly ever on the back line and able to take a breath. You're always um, keeping track of the whole performance mm-hmm. while you're doing it. Um, but yeah it's I've got a lot of pet peeves when it comes to openings and structures and styles just for the sake of style or rules just for the sake of rules, but, you know, I understand that that's just me and that other people do well in different kinds of, uh, situations.
0: hmm Uh, style for the sake of style, rules for the sake of rules. Uh, what is a style for the sake of a style and a rule for the sake of a rule? Um, well there's a group
1: that I'm going to call out no um, just we <laughs> name names on yeah. the Getting Close podcast just a show um, where the idea is to ape a particular format maybe because it's just trendy um, I think you see a lot of uh, shows in like a, a marathon uh, the Del Close Marathon mm-hmm. or the recent one that we we did in Philly where it's like a Funny idea, but you wouldn't want to have it be an actual group that you're in, at least until it gets fleshed out and explored more. Yeah, like bit shows. Bit shows or um, premises. Or improvised blanks. What's that? Like
0: improvised blank. Like in Chicago, there's the improvised Star Trek, the improvised Jane Austen, improvised Shakespeare,
1: although improvised Shakespeare Shakespeare is is amazing. Great. Amazing. And I would love for there to be like a Philly chapter of that. I'd love to see more, you know, musical improv or, you know, things of a particular interest, especially with Philly being such a theater town. Mm -hmm. I think we could have a lot of interest in a show that is, you know, improvised August Wilson. I'm just (laughs) trying to throw out a theater name. I barely understand. Um, Or, you know, things for different types of audiences, Mm -hmm. uh, more... Rap or hip hop based, or in different languages, um, but I think for with that, I just like to see it fully explored and fully developed, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just throwing something out there.
2: Yeah.
1: The same thing with a structure. If you're going to really in do some kind of complicated structure, one, make sure you can do it. That the people involved are comfortable with that, and that it's not a hindrance, um, and two, uh, make sure that um, it's fully developed and mm-hmm. that it serves a purpose.
0: There's a a group. I guess it's one of the unofficial house teams uh, because it wasn't a house team. Uh, no. That's industrial. Right. Um, you, uh, Jess Snow, friend of the podcast. Jess Snow was on. <laughs> um, not that long ago, and she said that you had a hand in kind of bringing that
1: together. Is that right? Yeah, I, I'll i go so far as to say I had a hand in pretty much everything that happened before like 2007, <laughs> either in some way introducing two people or finding somebody who, you know, put something out there online to say I'm interested in comedy or improv or what have you, and I found them and hooked them into this community that was developing. Mm-hmm. Industrial, I remember I coached them once or twice. Um, and that had McFarland on it, right? Yeah, McFarland. And Greg Mon
0: and Jess Snow and several other people that I am not sure
1: of. Right. And I think that came out of a group called the Ninjas. Okay. Um, there was a lot of, you know, kind of groups, fledgling groups at the time and one thing led to another, or um, people broke off, or um, groups got so big, groups came and went, Um, Kristen was in like every, (laughs) the Gurus of Gaffa came and went, and Giggle Milk came and went, and and others um, around that same time.
0: These names are great. They are. The Gurus of Gaffa, was it Giggle Milk? Giggle Mill. Giggle Mill.
1: It's where they make the funnies, right? Okay. Or process them down into <laughs> <Yeah>. funny flour. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I don't think I really had a hand in making industrial, other than helping connect the pieces, mm-hmm. like I was doing in general. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: did you have anything to do? Did you have a hand in uh, what became
1: Fit? Yeah. Um, I one of the co-founders, I guess. But we just sort of uh got a bunch of people together and said, let's try to start something. And um I was uh teaching uh workshops and then at a certain point taught like a an eight week class. Mm-hmm. Um and like Greg was a student in one of those classes. Uh, and other people were teaching as well, and eventually it sort of became. Let's try to build like what we what they have elsewhere. Yeah,
0: uh, which we'll get to in a, a little bit. Uh, but like, like you said, you've had a hand in a lot of a lot of things. You the festival in, too, and, and the festival. Yeah,
1: um, um, was yeah. sort of like we should have a festival. Hey, everybody <laughs> else, make that happen. That's the kind of hand that I have. Yeah,
0: that that, that that's what I was going to get to. Uh, is that you? You do a lot of this uh, kind of fire starting, mm. um, but then you you um, kind of run away sure. from it. Uh, what's the deal with
1: that? Well, not so much run away, but I know that there's other people who um, are able to devote more time and energy um, to it, and. I think I'm not so interested in de- in devoting a lot of time and energy to it. You just want to Probably. see it happen. yeah, um I've got good ideas. <laughs> um, but I think that is one reason why improv uh, speaks to me so much is that you don't have to practice it the way that you do theater or even mm-hmm. a sketch show. Yeah, you don't have to you know know lines or have costumes. You don't have to like learn how to play an instrument. Um, you're able to just kind of get out there and do it. All of the materials for improv are inside your head. Um, so that probably just speaks to me in, in general, mm-hmm. along the same lines as, wouldn't be great if this or that existed, who out there agrees, mm-hmm. and what can we do to make it happen, and then What are uh, a couple of those that you've got in your head right now? Oh, right now? Uh, So much has happened. When I think of what was available and sort of fizzling out in 2002, 2003, and what's out there now, it's more than just night and day. It's, Mm -hmm. It's like nothing and a lot of things. Yeah, I mean...
0: I, I often talk about what it was like when I moved here in 2009. Right. I can only imagine
1: 2002, Well, like I said, Comedy Sports has been around as a Philly institution yeah. for years and years mm-hmm. and is part of a larger national, if not international, yeah. association. So that's sort of its own particular pocket. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get into that pocket okay. uh, with Dave Jatico soon.
0: Uh, of comedy sports. Well, that's uh, great. Because
1: I'd love to hear, you know, what predates me yeah. with comedy sports. Like I said, I'm familiar with some of the stuff that was happening in those individual pockets at the time with Polywampus Wampus and mm-hmm. the Next Line started up. Um, some of your college prov or bar prov situations. Mm-hmm. The things that kind of came and went. Yeah. Um, but your question was about ideas that I have that I'd like to see. Yeah, I think right now right now, a lot of that is more, uh, personal and kind of selfish. I'd like to see myself, um, coaching and teaching and, you know, workshopping and whatnot Mm -hmm. more, um, getting into more projects that, um, that aren't just me like Matt and is, Mm -hmm. uh, or just, you know, our group like rare virtue was, um, I'm interested in, Shakespeare, I'm interested in musical stuff. Um, I could see myself doing something kind of art (laughs) direction-y for a a sketch show or a scripted show or a bigger production. I think that would be interesting. Mm -hmm. I liked um, when uh, Story Up was developing to be Mm -hmm. able to kind of step in and have a tiny little hand in how that um, developed. Mm-hmm. Um, I work a lot with colleges and high schools and things like that. Um, so there's not really a... At, at this point, there's so much going on in Philly that there really isn't a need for me to have some idea that other people can do. There's already been so much um, happening. Yeah. And I think that's where I am in general and where I think... Um, Philly is, is there's fun things that could be done and it's a matter of, you know, fleshing them out. Mm -hmm. Um, In general, I'd like to see improvisers be aware of what they like and what they don't like and try to make things happen. Um, When I look at other larger improv communities like New York and Chicago, it seems like there's a a factory-like procedure that people go through as opposed to the kind of artistic exploration that um, that we did with Robert Show mm-hmm. in kind of uh, a disconnected vacuum or, yeah. or having only those little avenues to explore things and then bring back and work on for a while. That's one thing that I see as an improv community gets bigger that I think the individual performers... Might lose that spark of really knowing, you know, what would they be interested in doing and yeah. what, you know, what kind of projects could they develop on their own as opposed to just, you know, climbing up the, yeah. the levels and waiting for auditions, waiting for other people to make things happen, you yeah. know, the way that I have.
0: Yeah. Philly, <laughs> yeah. unlike some of the larger places like mm-hmm. New York and Chicago, it is very easy to, if you have an idea, make it happen. Right. Um, uh, whether it's something simple at uh, a 10-15 minute show at Fit, um, you, know, you could do that at Wildcard or wherever. Uh, you could do something more experimental at Figment Theater. You can do, you can rent the Arts Parlor, right, uh, and put up a, a show. Um, and I think that would be awesome if more people
1: did.
2: Yeah, that. I'm, sh- I'm <laughs> sure
1: there's conversations that could be had. If people reflect and sort of say, you know, at a certain point, I found myself reflecting on like, well, I've always been interested in, you know, writing and poetry and language um, and then improv. And those things connect really well in uh, a show like a, an improvised Shakespeare mm-hmm. or, you know, just a any show that kind of takes that approach to it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big step for improvisers is to really reflect on not just them as an improviser, but them as a whole person. What other interests do they have out there? Mm -hmm. Um, What would they like to do and what would they not like to do? I know there's a lot of people who um, don't see themselves as coaches or um, teachers or directors, Mm -hmm. and that's a good thing to figure out. Uh, of course, then there's people who are maybe as hesitant about taking that step as they were about becoming improvisers in the first place. Yeah. Um, but that's a another area that I'm particularly interested in is um, not just community development and the overall scene, but getting into each individual person. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
0: you've done, uh, you, you mentioned some of the teaching that you've done. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do also remember you posting something about, uh, coaching coaches, right? Who coaches the coach? Um, uh, what, what is, can you walk me through something, some of, some of the ideas that might have,
1: you know, come out of that or that might go into that? I should say. Sure. Um, I, I think a lot of, um, when people get into improv coaching or directing or teaching, they tend to, at first, maybe just kind of parrot back what they learned, thinking that it's the same as learning your ABCs. Yeah. And I'm really interested in, I guess the word is like pedagogical development of people. Sure. Where, they, um, where they're able to like write out a lesson plan and pace the workshop or the class and develop sort of a... A unique curriculum or, or a unique approach to what they're teaching, uh, and that probably comes out of our development back in the aughts uh, with Rare Bird Show, where we were the yeah, where we were bringing back um, all of these different styles and all of these different approaches, and figuring out like um, what is the annoyance approach to learning improv, mm-hmm. what is the UCB kind of game structure, what are how does um, this place or that place or these performers or these teachers define particular styles or particular approaches and then what works for me more than somebody else mm-hmm. and then how can those different pieces blend together mm-hmm. uh, what do you is, is that what you would say just makes
0: a a good coach um, of an improv team is just somebody who can do some of
1: those things uh, is there anything else that goes into it for you I think the best teacher is the one that teaches the way that the student learns. Um, I'm interested in all the different kind of, some people really benefit a lot from like visual aids or examples or, um, you know, watching a video or watching a clip or seeing something. Some people really need to get up and do it Mm -hmm. and don't benefit from just like a lecture. Uh, I think the best teacher, again, is somebody who's aware of all of those different needs and can work back and forth within them or balance them all out so that everybody is getting their needs met mm-hmm. uh, within a workshop or within a class.
0: Who have you uh, studied under that you particularly enjoyed?
1: Some of it is from reading books like uh, Directing Improv by software <coughs> Excuse me by off, Ronan, Improvise by Mick Napier. Um, I think Kevin Patrick Robbins um, from Canada. <laughs> Where yeah. from? Uh, had a big impact on me personally, maybe more so than other people. Um, I think what what made Rare Bird Show interesting was the differences that we had and the different strengths and weaknesses kind of balancing each other out. I remember... Um, Nathan and Alexis taking some workshop together at some festival or something like that and bringing back a particular style and me not really digging it so much, Mm -hmm. but figuring out how we can balance it together as a group and how I can incorporate what I like and discard what I don't like from particular styles. Okay.
0: Uh, well, let's get into that a little briefly. Um... What are your just some of your more general thoughts on uh, improv? Uh, like, if we, let's just talk about you, I guess, uh, going into an improv scene. Sure. What's the first thing that goes through your
1: mind? Um, I tend to work from uh, from the suggestion. I know there's a lot of debate on: Do you need a suggestion? How closely do you use the suggestion? I probably am a little too, or not too, but more so you know, specific and tied to and even cutesy about how the suggestion is used. But that's just, you know, what I like. I like yeah. seeing a suggestion explored from a bunch of different angles. Then that why I, get one? You know, yeah. why else would you
0: ask for one? That's the thing that, that annoys me the most is, you know, groups that don't get a suggestion. Yeah. Uh, uh, or groups that get a suggestion and don't even bother to use it yeah uh, like that's one of the things I think even McNapier says as brilliant as as he is uh
1: that you know fuck the fuck the suggestion yeah uh don't let it you know completely screw over the whole show, but if you're going to get one, try to use it mm-hmm. or say forget it we're not even we're just gonna start playing and see mm-hmm. what comes up because you know whatever's on your mind, whatever you saw on t v that day is gonna come into play and bounce around in your head anyway mm-hmm you might just decide that's the show that we want to do is to just see whatever comes out. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely a big stickler on that suggestion. Yeah, Uh, and that's also why I don't like openings because um, I feel like a lot of what's interesting about openings is way more interesting if that happens throughout the course of the show. Uh, And that kind of came up as we developed our bird show as well that we didn't particularly want to word associate Mm -hmm. for two minutes before you know getting into actually playing Mm -hmm. all of those connections and um callbacks and things like that um i like to see that happen throughout the show um so i you know i started on the suggestion now with matt and i tend to do a lot more of bigger stuff at the beginning, kind of really defining who I am and what the scenario is, Mm -hmm. um, so that then, you know, we can play around within it. Um, Where do you stand on a, uh,
0: coming out into a scene and as quickly as you can establishing a who, a what, and a
1: where? I absolutely hate that (laughs) approach. I think um, every scene inherently, automatically has all of those details to it, but they don't necessarily matter, especially not at the granular specific level of like relationships and names that I sometimes hear people go to beyond just who, what, where, Mm uh, when even, um, so the approach that I take is to just get something, give yourself something at the beginning of the scene so that people have, something to work with instead of just a blank page. What is what is something? It can be any it could be um you know, walking slowly. That's all you need for to start a scene. If I'm walking slowly and my partner chose stern look, maybe I'm in trouble and I'm, you know, going into the electric chair or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Right off the bat we're into something as opposed to starting a scene, you know, holding a cup and saying, like, you know, (laughs) Mom, thanks for this juice. Not that that's not something, too. Yeah, I'm writing it down. (laughs) It's gold. But uh, what I want people to do and what I do is as little work as possible, as little stress as possible, and immediately get into something that you can play with. Okay. And from there... um, To just explore and repeat and build on that. Okay. Uh, What about game? Where where do you sit with this whole game thing? Yeah, so... What's the deal with game? What's the deal with game? Uh, That also was a big... Kind of... (laughs) Confusion for us back in the aughts is... How does a Herald work and why? How does how do the structural elements of Herald work and why? You know, what do we want to do and what don't we want to do? But then also those kind of nuggets of, um, you know, the improv rules. I think we said, you know, people do openings. I don't really like that. Let's just skip it. Uh, people do uh, platform, who, what, where right off the bat. And you have to have names and we have to know if they're you know, sisters or just friends, or, you know, is that tea or is that coffee in the cup? It's really important. We said, forget all about that. Just get something out there. If we never learn all of the details, they don't matter as much. And when it came to game or um, what some people refer to as deal, you know, I, we did a lot of kind of research and exploration of um, how people approach that and why And I eventually came to the conclusion that game is just anything done more and bigger. Uh, I recently saw something, an interview where uh, Beverly D'Angelo talked about the movie Hair and learning dance for that. And the instructor, I I don't forget who it was, but said dance is anything that you can do more than twice. And learning that really freed her up to be comfortable with exploring, I think we're doing something more similar to dance and jazz and, um, you know, ephemeral artsy kind of stuff like that, as Mm -hmm. opposed to logical, literal things like, um, comedy structure or writing structure or theatrical, um, acts Mm -hmm. or Aristotelian, you know, rules, things like that. um, so that's my approach to game is, is I, I don't personally like, um, the UCB approach where the first unusual thing, um, is then hammered into the ground. Uh, I think they did a really good job of explaining in better detail than the general idea that is out there of what game is in the UCB manual and seeing it explained you know, graphically and written out so mm-hmm. concisely like they did, yeah. was great um, after years of trying without having that access to their theater um, with just having kind of second or third hand knowledge of what game what does that mean when people explain it um, to kind of f- having my own definition at least for my own purposes
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, of game just being Do something, do it more, do it bigger.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: And why that works in in relation to patterns in the brain and um, how, you know, things that are funny are either funny in threes because you're expecting them or funny because like somebody falls (laughs) and surprises are funny in a very um, animalistic way. And the combination of doing something that you expect, but bigger, is a a repeating pattern, but still also a surprise. So there was years and years of kind of playing around with those definitions, as opposed to just kind of having, you do this, and that's how you're funny. (laughs) Like, I think a lot of students get when they go through those programs, or that they hear or read about, Mm -hmm. you know, secondhand, if they're in kind of the middle of nowhere.
0: Yeah. Uh, Susan Messing Mm -hmm. uh, will be back out in Philly uh, likely in the summer. Um, And she's always fun to talk to about kind of game stuff. Um, I mean, it it seems like a lot of people that um, are more, um, I guess, organic improvisers. Yeah. um, It's it's fun to to talk to people like that um, uh, about what game means to to them and and she'll say it's like a
1: game is anything you do more than once yeah that's it that's That's exactly what I was just talking about yeah Um, and her explanations um, of you know if if you're if you step out and your contact lens is making you blink but then you stop blinking yeah you know the audience sees everything whatever you do is part of the show Mm -hmm. and you know the audience doesn't care they're not particularly impressed that it's improvised they just want something right away
2: mm-hmm.
1: um so get out there and just do something yeah and then great now you've got something to play with and i think being an improviser is just knowing how to play around with whatever just came up
0: yeah I mean she just, would
1: you just spit out
0: she would say that if you come out into a scene and you go hello and then throughout the scene, you start talking like this again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the audience is going to be very... Bar- you you broke the deal. They've wasted their time. Yeah, you broke the deal.
1: They that you sat there the <laughs> investing, okay, I have to know that piece of information, that yeah. they speak that way or that they blink that way or that they walk slowly. Mm-hmm. And then if nothing comes from that, then they've wasted their time. Yeah, uh, that's what so I try to get Even if you it. get something funnier later, there was still that bit of yeah. useless... You know, nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's better to not worry about coming up with something funnier mm-hmm. and to take what has already happened um, and make that work. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, you're doing the crossword puzzle in ink.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. If it...
0: uh, for me, it just goes to the thought uh, that I pull from, uh, I guess, the annoyance, but it's probably true in a lot of places mm-hmm. uh, is this just whatever you do at the top of a scene should be important to you. Uh, everything that you do at the top should be telling you something and should inform everything you do, like just like you were saying that you walking slowly that 's all I need, but mm-hmm. why am I walking slowly okay i 'll look at my partner uh, and then maybe i 'll get something from him or her
1: um, but yeah, everything you do at the top of a scene should be important I think another another good approach to that is that it's um, makes it easier on you to have something happening. Mm-hmm as opposed to hesitating or uh, not knowing what to do. If you, yeah. if you give yourself something to do, something to be, then the audience at least has something to watch as opposed to just waiting while you stand there doing nothing, mm-hmm. thinking of something good. Yeah. It's uh, a stall tactic. Yeah. Uh,
0: what about... Um, I just like to get people's different ideas on some of these topics. Sure. Um, first person that comes out into a scene initiates the scene
1: okay i also hate that pretty much anything that you come up with i'll say that's stupid don't do that um i really like when uh the scene is kind of already happening in workshops and classes i tend to have people um start at the same time Mm -hmm. that comes also from like give yourself something yeah don't wait for that just you know even if you don't have a line or anything in particular to do you are at least already in the scene. The scene hasn't started as opposed to approaching improv from like a, I don't know, like a parlor game sort of, uh, approach where somebody steps out and says something and they're the brave one who is in control and somebody else steps out and supports that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's better to just, you know, be acting right away. Mm.
0: Yeah. Uh, for me, it depends on the style of improv I, that's that, true. that you're that you're doing. Uh, like I go over the Armando a lot, or I do Study Hall, um, uh, or even the Future does a more living room oriented thing. Where the the style that we're going for is kind of premise pulling, mm-hmm. uh, pulling specific ideas. Uh, so for us, if if two people come out at the same time uh, and initiate, then we might have too many ideas happening at once mm-hmm. that it is gonna kind of muddy the waters of what that first person was trying to do now right. is that a bad thing no uh, could it still end up in a as a fantastic really fun improv scene yeah um, but you know I would probably say that the notes of things as far as what we're going for sure um I could clearly see you know this person had this idea and this person had this idea and then we had to kind of wrestle around a little bit to figure out what was what was happening there.
1: Yeah. I think there's a lot of subtle nuances with that. I think when you see muddiness, it's from not just people starting at the same time, but, but from people bringing too much, mm-hmm. um, and not being willing to adjust. Yeah. If, if, um, if I come out and have something fully crystallized that is dependent on, uh, my partner filling a particular role, and uh where they have to do something or be something um specific, then that's too much to start a scene. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a subtle thing. Um and it also makes it harder, I think. People tend to bring too much and, and have too many needs at the beginning of a scene because they think they need to have that platform and that we talked about mm-hmm. established. Not just for themselves, but for everything in the universe, and for yeah. their partner as well. Whereas, I think improv—what uh, makes it fun and interesting—is that you're seeing that creative process. Um, that it's not one-sided; it's mm-hmm. it's a team writing project being acted out at that moment. Yeah, uh, for me, it's kind of funny to watch because
0: with the when you're working with kind of pulling a premise
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and you're doing it through a longer show um, it seems like people feel as if they run out of material right uh, earlier which I don't think is the case because I'm also of the school I, I'm a much more organic sort of player um, so I'm like no there's everything that you've done is on the table yeah uh, you can you can come back to anything you can create new ideas uh, you can have a new scene big deal if there's a scene that happens in the middle
1: that maybe doesn't have anything to do with it or kind of, you know, it's just do something. Yeah. And even if you, if you fully expand something to what seems like, you know, the blackout line or a logical conclusion or a punchline even, um, then you can then just say, and then what happens (laughs) and see what goes on. Yeah. Especially with the sort of clowny, um, you know, exponential approach that I'm talking about, where you start with the very small and then quickly repeat and build that, to something that's more Mm -hmm. crystallized and and specific, eventually that's going to turn into, and then the universe exploded Mm -hmm. pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But like I said, then you can just see what happens next. And you have everything else that you've built along with just your natural intelligence and humor to just spit something out and, you know, repeat the process. Uh,
0: how much of this stuff, because, uh, well, you do detention, right? hmm Um, but for the most part, over the last several years, you've done Matt End. Right. Uh, how much of this can you get across to someone that, uh, either has very little improv experience or no improv experience at all when you're playing with them? How, I mean, I know you're not giving mm-hmm. them pre-less, you know, lessons beforehand or talks or anything like that, because I've seen the show many times. Right. Um, but... What is it that you do to try and get some
1: of these concepts across to them so that it's more easy for them to follow? The weird thing is, I think that the um, non improviser audience members that um, I play with kind of naturally pick up at least a little bit of it. Mm -hmm. um, And I can just sort of fill in... um, The gaps. Mm -hmm. I start off before the show, letting them know that they can do and say whatever they want, and it's my responsibility to make it work. Um, And I take a a, kind of a more active approach than I would in other situations on stage, Mm -hmm. where I play more characters, I do more voices to to sort of balance out the. The audience member who a lot of times just sits there, a lot of times um, uh, only answers, never changes their voice or posture, doesn't really play characters. So I'm playing a little bit differently when I'm playing with a non-player. But what's interesting is I can be going around and doing stuff and setting stuff up and then just letting them kind of be in it almost like uh, like a short-form game of, uh, you know, one person has the lines to a scene um, and the other person has to improvise. Yeah. I'm kind of playing the lines to the scene mm-hmm. and they're just doing whatever. Yeah. And it's kind of the inverse of that where then the scene or, you know, the script that I'm creating reacts to whatever they um, say. Uh, which I never thought of until just... Uh, verbalizing it now which is interesting but what's what's really cool is when the audience member starts to open up um, that then it gives me more to play with the rest of the audience really loves it um, I that's just one of my favorite parts is when they start uh, sort of telling a joke or doing a callback yeah. or or referencing something interesting or um, even doing a funny voice. Mm-hmm. That's really fun.
0: Have you had a... Because anything can happen in these shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you had one that was
1: just like the worst? What's interesting about Matt And is that when the, the problems with it are all in um, having a, a full audience being able to get somebody on stage with me, Mm -hmm. Um, just my own personal energy level. Um, The structure and the format of the show kind of is automatically good. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's one way, sometimes it's another way, but it works anyway. Mm -hmm. Even if... um, I'm terrible, and my partner is terrible. (laughs) It's still an interesting show (laughs) in like sort of a train wreck um, situation, Mm. though that's been surprisingly rare. Um, When I started, I expected it to be more of a a weird challenge in that vein. Mm. Um, But what's so cool about it is that it works like it's a regular show. Uh, You might even... If you walked in late, you might not, not even realize that it's somebody from the audience up there performing with me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Is there a particularly great uh, one that you remember? Um, I've really liked the crowd at Duo Fest for whatever reason. Okay. I had a couple mm-hmm. where I wasn't kind of clicking so mm-hmm. well, um, but like this past year's Duo Fest and like maybe. Three years ago's Duo Fest were both standout, um, very good ones, where the audience uh, partner doesn't really play along at first, but then they start to, and yeah. it's really... Loosening up. Yeah, it's really fun to watch them do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also really liked uh, performing in Baltimore. So much of, of Matt and, as opposed to other improv shows you're really playing off the crowd a lot. Yeah. Maybe that's my experience because I've been just doing that primarily for so long now. But I'd say even more than Rare Bird Show, even more than other things that I've done, it feels a lot more like a three-way conversation uh, or like a magic act kind of show than uh, an improv show with a wall between yeah. me and the audience. Okay.
0: You want to teach more this year? Uh, you want to just kind of be
1: involved in more more things, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I'm interested in hearing about more projects. Um, you know, seeing how I can, like I said, I'm interested in um, the educational component mm-hmm. um, for each individual person. You know, individual development as an improviser, and uh, and then just keeping doing that and. Um, the first yeah. Sunday of the month. Yeah, The next one coming up is
0: first. February 1st is Matt End. Uh, and you're also going to be at the Steel Stacks. Uh, is it Steel Stacks Improv Festival or Steel Stacks Comedy Festival?
1: It's Steel Stacks Improv Comedy Festival. Whoa,
0: where at? Uh, and that's, that's, that's on the, the 31st? Uh, that's s- right. Saturday the 31st. Uh, and then February 1st at Fit Sunday nights, uh, And it's a free show.
1: Yeah, it's great performing. I'm I, I do... Matt And, Dean's List, and Detention at different times. And, you know, it's I'm enjoying being part of the free Sunday night at yeah.
0: Actually, let me ask you about that. Uh, because you've done, you do Matt And, which is, I guess, a duo. You can mm-hmm. call it a duo. Uh, you've done Rare Birchow, which was, for the most part, three people right. at times four. um, And then in Detention, there's eight to ten, I guess, right?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's a big group, and then there's usually, like, maybe seven performing. Okay.
0: What would you say, how do you think your play changes from, uh, say, Rare Bird Show to Detention? Um, or doesn't it?
1: Well, it's a lot less stage time, mm-hmm. which is a bit of a, a, a shift. It kind of feels like a really top-notch improv jam. I hope that doesn't sound (laughs) disparaging, um, where I'm able to sort of be more, uh, of like a supportive team player, Mm. um, with Matt and with rare bird show, when you have so few people, you really have to be doing a lot of work. Um, and when you're in a larger group, which I don't really have very much experience at all, um, it's just very different.
2: Yeah.
0: So you don't necessarily, I guess, it's like you said, have that uh, a track of larger groups, track record of larger groups. No, not
1: at all. I mean, yeah. I did short form in college, and that was a lot of people, but you know, a two-person yeah. scene with for two minutes, right. um, one after another, and then um, involvement here and there with different things, mm-hmm. but in general, um, much smaller groups. I think yeah. Philly has had a lot, you know, in, in its earlier days, a lot of, uh, three person, four person kind of groups, uh, before seeing the, the newer, bigger kind of coming out of fit, um, you know, six person, eight person groups. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, uh, I'm enjoying being part of a larger ensemble Mm -hmm. and playing differently though i can't exactly say how i'm playing differently other than of course you know it's going to be different if you're not always on stage and not performing with somebody from the audience and not um having to you know not having not performing with people who you've performed with for many years Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different um components to that yeah uh,
0: when I was in Chicago, I did Dart, uh, mm-hmm. which was an IO Harold team, which is still around since 2008 Right. or nine. Now they're still around, which uh, teams don't tend improv teams don't tend to do that. Um, they do if it's just you.
1: That's a yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. But Matt, imp- Matt N. Can be it. around <laughs>
0: forever, I guess. Yeah, um, but I, at the time, I was also doing a improv duo, musical improv duo called Tin Sandwich, right. and I loved. Uh, my time on Dart, which was 10 people. Mm-hmm. But if like, if I somehow had to choose between the two of them, I'd probably choose the the duo. I felt like, um, I just, I, I grew so much just, because you're out there, like you said, you're out there yeah. all the time. You, you can't go to the sides. Right. Uh, you can't just hang back. You have to be doing things all the time.
1: Um, and people tend to do more personalized projects for their duo, trio, mm-hmm. Smaller um, ensemble projects. Yeah. Um,
0: the last things we'll go over is um, you're available available for coaching, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, how would people reach you?
1: Um, probably through mattandimprov.com If they don't just know me on is that Matt know, Facebook uh, A N D or Matt and the symbol A N D Matt. You can't have an ampersand in a URL. Can't. Or won't. Not in the domain. Oh sure.
0: Um, all right. So Matt and Improv dot com. Right. Okay. Uh, so if anybody's interested in having Matt coach, um, whether a group or duo or what have you, or getting a group of people together, uh, we could do that a fit too. Um, have a, um, we've talked in the past and pretty recently about doing a, a kind of scene intensive. Uh, yeah. So we'll we'll make that happen. We'll look at your schedule and uh, try and find some. Sure. Anomalies uh, where that can take place. Uh, and again, February 1st at FIT at 7 p.m. Matt and, and Matt and at SteelStacks Improv Comedy Festival on Saturday, uh, January 31st. Um, and I guess Detention probably uh, on the 1st as well. Are you in that one? That's right. Okay, great. Matt Holmes, thank you. Thank you for very getting much. close.